Hey everyone, Saul Marquez here. Have you launched your podcast already and discovered what a pain it could be to keep up with editing, production, show notes, transcripts, and operations? What if you could turn over the keys to your podcast busy work while you do the fun stuff like expanding your network and taking the industry stage? Let us edit your first episode for free so you can experience the freedom. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. Hey, what's up, everybody? Saul Marquez here with the Outcomes Rocket. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Veronica Vela. She is a design and innovation leader focused on improving the health and well-being of communities. She serves as a director of community health design and innovation at Sibley Memorial Hospital, where she leads Sibley's social innovation program and other strategic design initiatives within John Hopkins Medicine, centered on advancing health equity in Washington, D.C. Dr. Vela's central focus is to make it easier for people to lead full and vibrant lives. Her expertise includes patient experience and the design of new care models to address the needs and values of vulnerable communities. She's led numerous projects to create new care models for primary care, chronic conditions, HIV, mental health, women's health, and emergency medicine. Previously, Dr. Vela led teams with Booz Allen Hamilton Strategic Innovation Group, where she worked on a portfolio of federal agency projects to improve care for vulnerable populations. She also served as a human innovation fellow within the U.S. government, where her work ignited an enterprise-wide transformation to improve how veterans experience care at over 1,200 Department of Veteran Affairs medical facilities. Dr. Vela holds a bachelor's in industrial and systems engineering from Georgia Institute of Technology, a master's in industrial engineering, and also her PhD in public health. And uh, just a privilege to have her here talk about the very interesting things that, that she does in healthcare around engaging vulnerable communities. Veronica, such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. Nice to be here. Absolutely. So before we dive into the work that you do with Sibley Johns Hopkins, uh, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. What inspires your work in healthcare? Yeah, well, you know, I am constantly thinking about how I can improve the health of myself and my family and, you know, social justice and improving the health of other people and improving the lives of other people, I'll say, has been a really important cornerstone to my upbringing. And so kind of combining my passion for figuring out how do I hack my own health and those of the people that I love and thinking about, you know, the broader context of our world, I, you know, I'm deeply concerned about how we are inclusive, um, in particular, with the, you know, for those who have often been excluded from our healthcare institutions and from services that resonate with who they are and what they believe and how they want to receive care. Wow. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's definitely a challenge. There's a lot of inequity in uh, mm-hmm. in how care is is delivered and accessed and overall uh, a big gap for us to bridge so it's awesome to to know that somebody like you is is focused on these problems that our our entire country is faced with how would you say what you're doing uh, today is helping the healthcare ecosystem, Veronica? Yeah. So the work that I do, you know, it's kind of in two major areas. So in the first area, um, I'm responsible for a social innovation program called Ward Infinity that is um, sponsored by Sibley Memorial Hospital and Johns Hopkins Medicine. And so what we do, we actually support change agents who are looking to improve the health and well-being of their communities. And we invest in leaders who live and do their work in in 
underinvested communities. So communities where, you know, all types of institutions, whether they be public or private, have not kind of wanted to go in to bolster the quality of life for the the people who live there. So it's as simple as not having enough grocery stores, not having enough transportations, having schools that are underperforming, right? All of these qualities contribute to a shorter life expectancy in Washington, D.C. And so we really wanted to partner with leaders who were there who were interested in developing innovative solutions. And so our social innovation program um, is really designed to give them not only funding for some of their ideas, but to work with them to help them work their communi- with their communities to shape the design of those solutions. Um, so that's kind of the first area of work. And then the second area of work is really around attuning how we deliver healthcare within Sibley Memorial Hospital. So Sibley sits in the most affluent part of Washington, D.C. You know, um, households here make eight times the amount as households in some of the more marginalized communities that I've mentioned earlier. And so Sibley really wanted to think about how we could better attune to the needs of vulnerable populations. We do have um, individuals, patients who come from the more marginalized communities who come to get care at Sibley, and even more so, I think within the last few years, as we've made a concerted effort to, you know, do work in those communities. So some of the projects that I lead are really around how do we attune the care better? So we have some work in telemedicine and also in maternal health care where we're really looking at how can we improve health outcomes for, you know, patients of color as well as those who are socially, economically vulnerable. Well, it's really great, you know, and, um, you sit in the middle of, of kind of two worlds, you know, where you're at and being able to connect the dots is is so important. I'd love to hear from you, Veronica, maybe an example or two of what you guys are doing that you feel is is unique or different in its effectiveness. Yeah. So I think the work that we've done with Ward Infinity has been really quite remarkable. So this is work that started back in 2017. Sibley was really interested in understanding how they could partner with community to make a difference um, in the health and well-being and the quality of people's lives. Typically, you know, by requirement, um, hospitals are required to provide a community benefit, right? So that means that they have to take part of their profits and part of their earning and put it back into the community. However, you know, we have very loose legislation and regulation around what that looks like. And primarily, it can look like in all kinds of ways, but typically it's not done by asking the community how it is that they want investments to be made. And so in 2017, what Sibley did, Sibley actually went out into the community to have a conversation with community members to understand how could we partner with them to do things differently. Um, We talk to church groups, to families, to children. I mean, you name it. We really went across two areas of Washington, D.C. called Ward 7 and 8 um, to really understand what their priorities were, what their challenges were, and how we could do something together. Um, And so out of that was born Ward Infinity that brings, you know, some of the brightest minds from Ward 7 and 8 with the Sibley Innovation Method and talent and expertise around public health to really help those change agents um, amplify the work that we're do- they're doing and make sure that they have longevity and staying power within the community. So it's really investing in the issues that they want and the priorities that they have and bolstering what they're doing. And I think that is a huge departure from how many healthcare systems and particularly hospitals um, work with the community to improve the quality of life. That's outstanding. 
So Word Infinity, you went out and said, hey, we're going to mine the minds of yeah. some of these you know, doers in the community. Let's find out how we can resonate not just make some stuff up and see if it sticks. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've run our program for about two years. We're now entering the third year. And so, and I actually will say that the first year it was a huge experiment because we didn't know what was actually going to happen. Um, yeah. And each year we've really evolved our program and figured out how can we do it better. And as we go into the third year, we're doing, you know, an evaluation to say like, where did we really do great and where did we miss the mark? And so um, this third year will look a little bit differently, but essentially the way that it works is we put out a call for applications. We identify a set of priority areas that we're going to invest in. The priority areas are also defined with the community. So we go out each year, we go and have a conversation to the, with the community to say, like, what are you concerned about this year? Where should we invest? We're getting ready to do that in January. So I'm excited to hear, you know, in light of the pandemic, what the community has to say about mm-hmm. where they want us to invest. But essentially, we put out a call for applications. We get you know, a bunch of projects, ideas, and then we select some and we invest in those projects that we think hold great promise um, and are by leaders who have demonstrated success in being able to deliver on their ideas. You know, I think that's really fantastic, Veronica. And, you know, I think about, you know, some of the things that maybe came out of that. Do you have any examples of, you know, some of the outputs or ideas? I'm just really curious about that. Yeah. So the first two years, we've invested in um, food access, we've invested Mm. in housing, we've invested in healing trauma, we've invested in patient and provider relationships, and then also solutions to use food as medicine. Some of our most promising projects have come out of food access, healing trauma, and food as medicine. I'll talk a little bit about one of them. So one of the projects that came out was this idea that was created by Mary Blackford and her partner, Jacob Clark. Wards 7 and 8 are a food desert. There's only three grocery stores that serve about 160,000 people. Um, You can compare that to other wards in Washington, D.C., where you have 10, 11 grocery stores that are serving 90,000 people. So the disparity is hugely obvious. Um, And so there's not a lot of places to get fresh food, to get, you know, um, food that really represents the best of of the community's culture and health promise through heritage foods. And so Mary came with the idea of creating a food hall. You might, you know, these are popping up around lots of cities where you have kind of like food stalls. And But she also had the idea, let's not just bring in, you know, these food halls, let's have them represent the food from the African diaspora and the culture of our people. And so that's thinking about, you know, food that is, that originates from Africa, but also North America and the Caribbean. And so this food hall not only will create, have these stalls, but also there is going to be a community grocer. So this was an idea that she kind of came with very loosely. She went through the program, learned really about the structures that prevent her community from, you know, having access to healthy food, then went out and um, did research and talked to her neighbors, her friends, her family members to understand if we were going to create a food hall, what would it look like? What would it represent? What kind of food would be available? And through that actually came up with um, her concept, which is called Market 7. Um, It's actually currently under construction. It's going to be 7,500 square feet. It's going to include the the food stalls that I mentioned, 
a community grocer, and she's actually also supporting other small businesses incubate their food products and solutions within the space. She works with 60 Black-owned businesses right now. She also has a partnership with Whole Foods where she's introducing some of the food products to Whole Foods. And now there are several of those products that are now available in all of the Washington, D.C. Whole Foods stores. So she's really, I mean, she she kind of came in with a concept and she's really blown it out of the water because it's not only going to transform like from a brick and mortar perspective, right, what's available in her community, but she's also amplifying the economic well-being of the Black-owned businesses that she's mm-hmm. working with. So we're truly proud of what she's done. Wow, that's that's amazing. And I guess at first it was surprising when I when I first learned about how food, you know, plays such an important role in the lives of people. I went to do a, a, a service project in Tampa, Florida, and um, just incredible, right? A food program at a school, at a high school, made a difference of only 50% students graduating versus 95%. Yeah. And it just like, it's mind blowing. Um, and food insecurity is very real in our country. I think it's so great. This uh, food hall idea is extraordinary. And I think we're also seeing, you know, CMS uh, also take some strides here in in providing benefits, right, as food Mm -hmm. um, and outside of just, you know, sick care. So I think it's uh, really cool to see you and and your team do things in the community and see, see them take shape in ways that's making a difference. I appreciate you sharing that one. That's a, that's a really neat example. Absolutely. You know, and I I think to your point is you talk about that, that example in the school, there's a connection between food and security and behavior. What do people act like when they're hungry? You know, even for people who don't have food insecurity issues where they live, I mean, take anyone in your family, right? Somebody's hungry or mungry, you know, hangry, whatever you want to call it, right? And so there's a connection between this behavior, right? And your capacity to process information and your capacity to contribute in a pub in, in a productive way. Yeah. And your hunger. So, I mean, I think the connection is very real. And I think, you know, if you extrapolate beyond that, right? Like it's so difficult for us to do things when we're hungry. Imagine a child who's trying to learn and is in an environment that might not be, you know, emotionally supportive of, you know, their themselves as an individual, you know, but take that a step further and think about like violence, right? And so I I think, you know, few people are able to connect the food to the behavior and then go a step and beyond. So we think about violence in our community. I mean, there are reasons why, you know, certain things happen in the way that they happen. It's because some very basic needs are not being met. I'm not saying they're all related to food, but like just if you can extrapolate a bit further on food, how food impacts behavior, we could then see how it might create a more peaceful environment, safer places for people. Um, Just because you have people's kind of like levels of, of, of intensity lowered because they are physically well. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's uh, well said, Ronica. And, and so as, as you think about some of the work that you've done with this program or others, what would you say is a way that you've improved outcomes for the community? Yeah. So, I mean, I think to date our program, this is, we're entering our third cohort. Mm-hmm. So it's still, you know, very young, but I'll say that, you know, the programs that we've invested in how are, you know, 
well, Markets Heaven will be providing food for people. They've been doing it in a pop-up style um, okay. since then. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have solutions. Um, so, for example, we have another um, innovator, Boris Robinson, um, who developed DMV Urban Greens, where he actually is the sole proprietor and he mm-hmm. manages a um, community-supported agriculture. So he has a fully organic for- farm in the middle of an urban center. And so he's able to like actually provide nutritious food for free and at reduced cost for people who live mm-hmm. there. Um, we have another group, Playback Theater, who looks at how we bring theater and, and acting to healing. And so it's a place where mm-hmm. people come together to talk about their traumas and challenges, and it gets reflected back through the through the theater and acting, not to solve the problem, but to acknowledge the problem. And that goes, that is the beginning of kind of improving those health outcomes. So I think, you know, to date, we're still at our early stages of of measuring that. We still have some ways to go. Um, There are certainly other projects beyond Word Infinity. We're designing in an emotionally resonant and culturally competent way can deliver those outcomes. And I'm happy to share some of those, if those are, um, yeah, would love to hear. Yeah. would love to hear about yeah. it. So one project that I worked on, um, so I was a human innovation fellow with the department of veterans affairs. And while I was there, um, the VA, this was in 2016 was really concerned about how veterans were experiencing care in 2014. There had been 40 veterans who died waiting for care because there was a huge backlog. Um, there was a huge scandal where there were basically administrators who were falsifying the backlog and making it not look so terrible, right? And so as a result, it was really hard to understand that there were so many veterans waiting for care because it was all hidden and it was very, very secretive. So anyway, Mm -hmm. these veterans died. So the administration wanted to make some changes. So there are a number of things that they did. One of the things that they did is they decided to integrate design and innovation to think about how we could better serve the needs of veterans. And so we ended up running a design research study where we went around the country talking to veterans one-on-one in their homes or wherever they felt safe to understand what their experience was like with VA care. And that allowed us to then strategize solutions to make it better based on what the problems and the challenges they were facing. Oftentimes, healthcare solutions, you know, kind of sit, we sit in our offices, we have all these really smart people, and we come up what we think is the problem of our patients and the problem of the communities. But in this case, we actually went to the patients and said, you tell us what we're doing wrong. And then we're going to come up with some strategies to fix that. So in 2016, we started the project. We went out Um, in 2017, we were able to put the findings together and to begin to share those and to bring the veterans' voices to the front to say, these are the quotes that they're saying. This is what they're actually describing. And by the way, here are photographs of the people that we spoke with, right? So to really bring it to life. um, And out of that um, grew the the patient experience initiative. And so that became a national initiative to attune care based on what the veterans' needs were. Right now, the VA, that that project is led by Jennifer Purdy, who's the executive director, and um, they have improved trust scores between veterans and the VA since we did that project. And the patient experience measures for the VA is actually outpacing the private sector. So I think that's a very clear, tangible example how going in and actually talking to the people that are most affected by a problem um, can really help shape the outcomes. Wow. That's awesome. Congratulations on that. And, you know, I mean, I just I was just getting goosebumps as you were telling me this, because it just 
you know, these, these amazing people who served our country, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. they deserve the best. And I love the idea of, of showing their picture because mm-hmm. it also brings it to life, right? Instead of just a name and a story, you actually have the person. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really great idea. And, and folks, as we, as we think about how we're innovating to reach our communities, to improve outcomes, we have to talk to them. We can't just make stuff up in the boardroom and think it's going to work. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just not going to work. And, and Veronica and her team are, are a great example of how to do that. Just an incredible experience. And, and now the VA is outpacing traditional uh, providers, which is amazing. A testament to the work that you guys have done. And Veronica, so talk to us about setbacks, right? Your work is not easy. So <laughs> is there a particular setback that comes to mind that you learned a ton from that you want to share? Gosh, um, there are so many setbacks to this work. <laughs> um, it's hard to know where to start. Um, I think ultimately, though, the most important thing is leadership backing is so essential, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you don't have a leader, a CEO, somebody who's out in front saying, okay, we're going to let you go forth and talk to the community. Um, If you don't have people within the healthcare system who agree with you and want to embark on this work, because it's painful work. You know, it's like, it's, it's basically going to therapy. It's organizational therapy, right? Like, what am I not doing good? What can I do better? How can I improve? Um, And it, you need to be willing to shine a light on that. And so you really need leadership who is willing to kind of stand out in front of that and say it's important that we do that. So, you know, there've certainly been environments that I've been in where that hasn't always been the case. Um, there's a really interesting project that I was able to work on where we were looking at, it was a, it was a huge study that was federally funded, over $23 million of taxpayers' money to look at how to deliver care in a new way by using home testing technologies. And this was for HIV care. And um, we had this huge, I mean, literally $23 million that was already allocated to the study. And at the time, I, you know, I was a grad student and trying to figure out how I can contribute. And I just raised the question, has anyone asked the people that we were going to create this intervention around whether or not they would be willing to take a home HIV test. And the question had not been asked. The formative Mm. research had not been asked. And so we had $23 million riding on the assumption that they would be open to doing this. So I had the opportunity to go and actually ask some of the prospective patients that we would be engaging with, you know, what their thoughts around HIV home testing, how would it compare to an in-clinic test? You know, what did they like about in-clinic? What did they prefer about home testing and vice versa? And then kind of what were some, there's some of their fears around having HIV and how would that impact their lives? And ultimately what I found was, is that marginalized communities, you know, the ones that I spoke with were not open to taking an HIV test at home. Why? they're already marginalized. They already feel like they're on the fringes, that they don't have enough access to healthcare. And then you're asking them to take a test about a very debilitating disease that right now is a chronic condition, but also brings with it a lot of stigma in marginalized communities, right? It becomes, what did you do wrong? What actions were you taking? You know, there's a, there's a blame piece around the fear of getting HIV that I don't think was fully understood. And so what ended up happening was that the study did not get enough people enrolled in it and it actually was canceled. And so you can imagine they had hired all these community health workers. They had come up with the design of the intervention. They had done all this work, but nobody had raised the question. 
Are you willing to do this? And so this is why I say having leadership that is willing to ask that question Mm -hmm. is super important. And let's say you've already have funding for this concept. Well, then if we're going to give you this service, what do we need to do to make sure that you feel safe and comfortable and confident in partaking in that service, right? Mm -hmm. So you can either, you can reframe the question if it's not something that they're open to. And so I think, you know, that's one of the big failures of our healthcare system is to invest in solutions that are not resonant with the people that we want to serve. And so I think leadership um, is instrumental to creating those pathways. I mean, I went out and I did that study alone. And when I came back with the findings, they weren't interested. And then a few months later, the entire study was canceled. So, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and um, I think, Veronica, it's a, it's a common problem. And, but I do though, and, and I'm interested in hearing your perspective on this, but I, I feel like there's a, there's a bigger willingness to do this consumer focused type of work now, mm-hmm. like, like compared to even five years ago, right? I feel like we're more consumer focused. And thanks to leaders like you that are leading the charge and, and pushing the envelope and asking the important questions. What's your take on that? Do you feel like we're getting better overall? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I would say 10 years ago, right? There was like barely anyone engaged in this work. I think where we've seen it really explode has been in like the healthcare startup space, right? Because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're competing with these mammoth institutions, right? And so in order to compete, they have to figure out how do you differentiate themselves? I think the challenge really is for the more established places to kind of take on that practice, right? If they want to continue to remain relevant, if they want to continue to, you know, deliver healthcare outcomes that are really meaningful and surpass what they've been able to do in the past, it behooves them to really take that consumer-oriented approach. So I certainly agree that it's getting better. I still think that we have such a long way to go. Um, I, I constantly, you know, am seeing programs that are getting spun up because there's a physician or an administrator who has a great idea. And while I'm sure it's a great idea, it could be better attuned and adjusted if it brings the consumer um, to the heart of the decision-making process. Well said. And the takeaway here, folks, is it, you might have a good idea, but how can you fine-tune it? How can you adjust it so that it speaks to the people that you're looking to serve? I think Veronica just just said it so well. Thank you for that, Veronica. You're welcome. I think, I mean, that's an insight, you know, and I think it's one that if you're not forcing yourself to think about, you're you're really selling your ideas and your and the people you're serving short. So Veronica, what are you most excited about today? What am I? Oh, you know what most excites me is I know this year has been so challenging for all of us in so many different ways. Um, I think what it has done, though, it has elevated this need. Um, And, you know, healthcare organizations are having to kind of describe how are you adjusting the inner workings of how you operate so we can begin to address some of these social issues that have gone on for so long. Um, So I'm excited that people are having the conversation. I mean, I think it takes time to adapt and to change culture and to change how we interact with each other and, you know, what our transactions look like um, with our patients. But I'm excited that the conversation is happening. I think we need to push the envelope in terms of where what we think we're capable of doing. But I'm, I'm quite delighted that as unfortunate as some of, you know, the things that have happened this year, I think that it, they have brought the conversation forward that many of us have been talking about, um, but that is now coming into the mainstream. Yeah. 
Yeah, me too. I'm excited about it. It's uh, it's certainly been challenging for for all of us. And but on that on the positive side, the silver lining to your point is that I feel like we're we're more open and uh, and we're making strides. So it is exciting. I'm right there with you. Um, Veronica, such a, such a great conversation with you. I'm sure everybody's like taking notes and thinking about things and ways they could implement what you, what you share with us today, but leave us with the closing thought. What, what should we be thinking about and what would be the best place that the listeners could get in touch with you if, if, uh, something you said resonated and they wanted to reach out? Sure. Um, closing thought. So my closing thought would be as you're thinking about how you're making a difference in the communities that you're serving, right? How can you make it more meaningful? And who decides what is meaningful? Is it the organization itself that decides what's what's meaningful? Is it your patients? Is is it your patients' families? Think about where the meaning needs to reside in order to keep you relevant. And, you know, just think about that and think about how you might begin to engage with those folks who make it meaningful. In some cases, you're going to say, you know, it's the patients and their families, it's their caregivers, right? How do we bring them into the fold? Um, In other cases, it's actually even also thinking about your providers, but it's not just your physicians, right? It's your MAs, it's all of your tech support. Everyone has a role to play in making healthcare more emotionally resonant, more humanizing for the people that we want to serve, and more humanizing for the people who are delivering it. So think about who can help you create meaning in what you're doing. And if the listeners wanted to get in touch, what would be the best Sure. Um, they can feel free to either reach out to me via LinkedIn or email me. I'm at vvela1 at jmh, jhmi.edu. Um, so that's V V E L A one at J H M I dot E D U. Awesome. Well, Veronica, this has been an awesome conversation, uh, truly uh, thought provoking. And I uh, just want to give you kudos for, for the work that you're doing. And it'll be exciting to see the impact, right? When the data starts coming in on this project that you've been working on. So, so congrats on, on the progress and definitely looking forward to staying in touch. Awesome. Thank you so much, Saul. It's been a, such a wonderful conversation. Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, Saul Marquez here. I get what a phenomenal asset a podcast could be for your business and also how frustrating it is to navigate editing and production, monetization, and achieving the ROI you're looking for. Technical busy work shouldn't stop you from getting your genius into the world though. You should be able to build your brand easily with a professional podcast that gets attention. A patched up podcast could ruin your business. Let us do the technical busy work behind the scenes while you share your genius on the mic and take the industry stage. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more.